with operations in Afghanistan set to come to a close and mixed reviews of its intervention in Libya, NATO is facing tough questions about its future. Later this month, officials from NATO will discuss these factors and more at a meeting in Chicago. For a preview of what they'll be discussing, we turn to two guests. Charles Kupchin is an expert on transatlantic issues and a senior fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations. His latest book is No One's World. And Justin Weiss is a senior fellow and the director of research for the Center on the United States and Europe at the Brookings Institution. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us. Well, Charles Kupchin, recently President Obama went to Kabul to sign a strategic partnership agreement with Afghanistan, kind of a surprise visit. How does this agreement affect NATO's plans in Afghanistan? There was a lot of talk about the United States, but not a lot about the other partners in ISAF. Uh, Obama's trip to Kabul wasn't quite the mission accomplished uh, moment, but it was close. And it was essentially saying the light is at the end of the tunnel. And in many ways, Obama was preempting the debate that will take place in Chicago by saying that our objectives have largely been attained. And it is now time to focus on winding down the conflict, handing over responsibility to the Afghans and heading for the exits. That makes it easy for the NATO countries because most of them heard exactly what they want to hear because they're ready to head for the exits. Has the NATO alliance now decided as a group what they're not what they're looking for is not a perfect Afghanistan, but a good enough Afghanistan? I think there's no question that the last couple of years have been sobering years for NATO. Uh, and when President Obama in his West Point speech laid out the rationale for the surge and the objectives of U.S. strategy, I think he had uh, in sight a vision that has not come to fruition. Uh, and I think that view is widely shared across NATO. And that's why at this point, the general direction of the alliance is to do the best that one can in the remaining two years to build up the Afghan security forces as best as possible. But the decision to withdraw is not based upon having met certain benchmarks. The decision to withdraw is based upon the sense that NATO has done as best as it can, and it is now time to stand up the Afghans, but largely turn this mission over to them. Justin, in country after country, there's been rising domestic pressure to at least re-examine the mission, at worst, get out, uh, will they be able to resist it to the end of 2014? It looks like most of them will. Uh, what you have to keep in mind is that most governments have been staying in Afghanistan against the will of their public opinion for a long time now. The French, uh, who have uh, been fighting in, in pretty dangerous uh, zones, uh, have been saying that they will withdraw either in 2013 or even in 2012. Of course, that would send a bad signal, but it's also a, a reflection of, of pressure that has been felt by governments. There was a recent NATO report on Libya, which was leaked to the New York Times, and it concluded that NATO relied too heavily on the United States to provide vital information air refueling, and aircraft. Looking back at NATO's intervention in Libya, what can the alliance learn, if anything, from the way Libya worked out? Well, I think Libya was impressive in the sense that the Europeans took the lead, and Washington has always been looking across the Atlantic and asking the Europeans to do more, to shoulder more burdens, and France and Britain and others stepped up to the plate. 
At the same time, I think that the, the mission did expose the degree to which Europeans remain heavily dependent upon American assets for intelligence, for targeting, for refueling. And that question about burden sharing, about whether the European pillar of the alliance is strong enough, will be becoming more intense in the years ahead for, for a couple of reasons. One is that defense spending in Europe is declining. And the other is that defense spending in the United States is declining. And you might say the U.S. is going to be looking to husband its resources and say, we need others to fill the gap. We need the Europeans to step up to the plate. And I think there'll be some very tough discussions in the years ahead about whether Europe is going to be able to be that better partner. With the growth of these multinational organizations, the EU, NATO, uh, and the lack of a massive, easily understood external threat, does NATO, does the EU speak with coherence, speak with anything like one voice when it comes to looking at the wider world? The short answer is it does not. NATO is a collection of sovereign states and, uh, you know, history and, and, and geography play a big role. And so, no, the, the answer is uh, that NATO countries uh, generally don't uh, see eye to eye on actually most problems of the world. Uh, but that's a bit different from the fact that they've managed to uh, work uh, their uh, differences. So that, of course, reduces the, the scope of actions that NATO can take on. Uh, but on the other hand, it, it ensures that precisely the sovereignty and preferences of all these countries will be respected and gives a huge force to the unity of NATO. When NATO is united, then uh, uh, you know people around the world know that they've come to that consensus or unity in spite of a very difficult and, and varied makeup, I would say, of, of, of NATO. Has that internal coherence or occasional lack of coherence had an effect on the Afghanistan mission and its medium-term prospects, if we're looking at getting out in 2014? Well, I think that during the Cold War, there was a, a level of solidarity that was born of a clear and present danger. And then September 11 temporarily played the same role. And since then, however, I think you have begun to see divergence. And that's why right now it's very difficult to maintain a common position on what are we doing there and when are we getting out. Libya is instructive in that it was a coalition of the willing. And the second thing I'd say is that I think NATO is going to be entering a, a more bumpy period because of the political awakenings that are going on around the world. And that just makes it harder for political elites to, to deal with foreign policy. So the, I think the picture that we're looking at is one in which maintaining solidarity and maintaining political solvency moving forward is going to get harder, not easier. The United States, Charles, recently announced it was turning its gaze toward the Pacific. If you're sitting in Luxembourg City or Strasbourg or Brussels, and you're thinking hard about the future of NATO, what does that mean to you? I think that it, it will, to some extent, wake the Europeans up to the fact that the world is changing and that the next time there is trouble in Europe or on Europe's periphery, the United States might not show up at the party because it's got forces in the Straits of Hormuz to deal with Iran or some other local threat. It's got forces in Australia and shifting to the east. When the U.S. looks out at the world and sees threats that are not in Europe, but they're further afield, will it continue to come back to Europe as its go-to partner? 
the Bush administration came into office and thought it could go off on its own, and lo and behold, it came back to Europe because it needed help. I think Obama came into office talking about a new condominium with China, looking to Brazil and other rising powers as new partners. And guess what? It's very hard to get help in the world. And he rediscovered the Atlantic Partnership. And last year, he went to Europe for a week with one main message, which was, we still love you. You are still our best partner. But I do think that despite the stickiness and the resilience of the Atlantic Partnership, Europe needs to invest more in its capacity. Europe needs to shoulder more burdens. Because otherwise, as you look over the next decade, Europe could gradually slip off America's geopolitical radar screen. Charles Kupchin is an expert on transatlantic issues and a senior fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations. His latest book is No One's World. And Justin Weiss is a senior fellow and the director of research at the Center on the United States and Europe at the Brookings Institution. Gentlemen, thanks for talking with us. Thank you. Thanks. You've been listening to The Future of NATO on America Abroad. Visit us online at americaabroad.org to sign up for our podcast and hear past programs. Be sure to check out our interview with journalist Anna Badkin, who traveled around northern Afghanistan for a year for her new ebook, Afghanistan by Donkey. Want to share your thoughts on the program? Join us on Facebook or Tumblr, or send us a tweet at America underscore abroad. The Future of NATO was produced by Faridun Aryan, Terry Schultz, and A.C. Valdez. Additional production help was provided by Flawn Williams. Special thanks to Alex Keith and WBEZ Chicago for their report. Steve Martin is our Director of Broadcasting and Station Relations. Four Piece Suit composed our theme music. I'm Ray Suarez, and this is America Abroad from Public Radio International. Support for this program is provided by the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation, the Stewart Family Foundation, and the American Interest, a magazine devoted to illuminating America's global role. Support also comes from this station and public radio international stations nationwide and is made possible in part by the PRI Program Fund, whose contributors include the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. PRI. Public Radio International.